Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Happy Tuesday, and welcome to another edition of Cresta in the Afternoon. Hope you're all enjoying your uh, day here. And as we have been talking about a lot recently, uh, Noelle Marion has been in town and we recorded a video podcast with her this morning. Al and Noel and Peter Herbeck all sat down together for well over an hour. It was a really great discussion. And after that, Al needed to take a little break before he uh, came back. We have another event this evening that we've been talking about. So that's why you're hearing my voice instead of Al's. And um, we'll be sharing some different uh, material with you now. And uh, looking forward to seeing many of you tonight at that event. I'll have more information about that in a few minutes. Of course, today is the Feast of Saints Perpetua and Felicity. There are two of the female saints that are included in the first Eucharistic prayer because they were martyrs. And the account of their deaths, written at least partially from Perpetua's own hand, is among the oldest works of martyrology that we have from the ancient church. And their their death was a uh, not a pleasant one. I'll just leave it at that for now. But they kept their composure and they showed a joy at the time of their death as they prepared to see the face of Jesus. And so Al will be sharing with us uh, his thoughts on what Perpetua and Felicity can teach us about happiness. And then um, later on in this hour, we'll be exposing the anti-Mary. Uh, in the late 60s, a small group of elite women convinced an overwhelming majority of the country that destroying the most fundamental of relationships, that of mother and child, was necessary for women to have productive and happy lives. Our pro-life culture has become pro-life style, embracing everything that feels good, and Carrie Gress calls out this phenomenon in her book, The Anti-Mary Exposed, because it is in such contrast of what our Blessed Mother stands for, and uh, she'll be joining us later on in this hour after Al's commentary. Uh, also, later on in the day, we'll be hearing a conversion story, Searching for Hope, My Conversion from Buddhism. Paul Williams is our guest. That's all coming up in this edition of Crest in the Afternoon. But first, let's get to those news headlines. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Tuesday, March 7th. It's the Feast of Saints Perpetua and Felicity. Today's news brought to you by Ave Maria's Family of Funds at AveMariaFunds.com. The Biden administration is working closely with the Mexican government to ensure justice is served following the kidnapping of four Americans in northern Mexico. When it comes to Americans' lives and when it comes to their, the safety of Americans, the president's always going to make sure that that is a top priority. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre offering condolences to the victims' families after Mexican authorities said two were found dead. The two other Americans are safe and back in the U.S., Family members say they've traveled there for a medical procedure from South Carolina. Another pro-life pregnancy center has been vandalized. Video surveillance shows two masked individuals smashing windows and spray painting at the First Care Clinic in Minneapolis late last Friday. Local police tell clinic staff that the attack is a federal hate crime and falls under the FACE Act, 
and has referred the vandalism to the Department of Justice. A priest who survived ISIS captivity has been consecrated as an archbishop in Syria. Father Jacques Morad, a Syrian Catholic monk, was kidnapped by terrorists in 2015. He was moved several times and was frequently threatened with a knife. His captors telling him he would be freed if he just renounced his faith, and he has always refused, eventually managed to escape after five months in captivity. He was consecrated as an Archbishop of Homs on Friday. California no longer doing business with Walgreens. That message coming from Governor Gavin Newsom after the pharmacy chain said it wouldn't sell abortion pills to 20 states that warned of legal consequences. The Democrat tweeting that the state won't work with any company that, quote, cowers to extremists and put women's life at risk. From your Ave Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. During a spring of 203, there's a young North African woman who was taken into custody by Roman soldiers in the city of Carthage, which is now modern Tunisia. That's where it's located. Her name was Perpetua. We celebrated her feast day and that of her slave, uh, per- Perpetua and Felicity. The two go together all the time. But there's also a group of companions that are with them. But Perpetua, 22 years old, well-educated, good family. She was married. In fact, she was nursing a child at the time of her arrest. And she was charged with violating a decree that the emperor had issued a year before. The decree was this. You cannot convert to Christianity. It outlawed conversion to Christianity. Well, she, uh, at a young age, and her friends, including her personal slave, Felicity, defied the decree. They got arrested and they got imprisoned. And on March 7th of 203, Perpetual Felicity and that group went into a small arena in Carthage where they were fed to wild animals. They were mauled. They were slain by the sword. Um, Spectators jeered at them. And we actually have an eyewitness account from that period. Uh, And it goes about like this. Uh, This is virtually verbatim. Perpetua and her companions marched from the prison to the amphitheater joyfully, as though they were going to be in heaven, with calm faces, trembling, if at all, with joy rather than fear. When they were scourged and taunted, they rejoiced at this, that they had obtained a share in the Lord's suffering. Now, the the spectators in the arena had seen lots of blood sport before. But they had never witnessed a spectacle like they were seeing with Perpetua and Felicity. This group of young Christians who were being martyred, they embraced their ordeal with an eagerness that seemed to, um, they seemed to delight in pain. They seemed to embrace suffering and greet death uh, with open arms. And by the accounts we have, the onlooking crowd was uncomprehending. They No, they didn't get it. Um, But there in the the blood and dust of that African sports arena was a major moment in Western history. In fact, it was the emergence of a radically new vision of human happiness. Now, that's just not my opinion. Uh, That is based on the work of Dartmouth professor of history, Darren McMahon, who's written an intellectual history 
of the concept of happiness, going back to the ancient world right up to the present day. How do people understand happiness? How do philosophers philosophize on it? What about religion? And the history of happiness. He writes, Darren McMahon writes, that the emergence of the Christian martyr in history brings to the world a radically new vision of happiness. So think of that. The Christian martyr brings a new vision of human happiness because Perpetua and Felicity were convinced that reality wasn't defined by the emperor's philosophy or society's opinions. They were convinced that it was God who defined reality, and they found their identity in the crucified Christ. They found their destiny in the crucified Christ. They bore witness in the midst of suffering to that reality that went well beyond the pain and suffering of this world, but was a reality you could only get to through the pain and suffering of this world. And that's what amazed all those pagan onlookers. For the Christian martyr, this new figure in human history, life had purpose because death had a purpose. The Christian martyr knew the why of his existence. He knew the why of his life, the why of his death, and this enabled him to endure whatever came his way. Viktor Frankl, the Austrian-Jewish psychotherapist who served, survived Auschwitz, wrote the classic book, and you've had to read it. If you haven't read it, get it. It's available in very inexpensive editions. It's a very good read. Man's Search for Meaning. And in it he wrote, A man who knows the why for his existence will be able to bear almost any how. You don't invent the why of your existence. You don't invent the meaning. You discover it. And so for the martyr, you know, as for us, the meaning of life is discovered, first of all, in encountering Christ, our creator, becoming his disciple, being ready to learn, being trained by the master who's promised that when a disciple, when a learner, that's what the word means, when a disciple, when a learner is fully trained, he will be like his master. And um, this is a very different way of life. And it, is in, it was in stark contrast with the world then, and it's in stark contrast with the world that's developing in 21st century America. W. Somerset Maugham was a brilliant British writer and playwright novelist, very successful during the 30s. He was reputed to be the highest paid writer in the world. He had a terrible upbringing, though. Both parents died before he was 10. He, his uncle raised him, but the uncle was emotionally cold. He uh, became a physician, tried his hand at novel writing. His first novel became a bestseller, so he gave up medicine. Uh, and in spite of his success, which was enormous, he was not a happy man. He believed that the, the misery, the suffering of this world, uh, indicated that God did not exist. He didn't believe that there was an afterlife. He did write a little autobiography called The Summing Up, and in it he says the universe is eventually going to flatten out. It's going to die of heat, you know, heat death. And uh, long before that happens, humans will have disappeared. Uh, humans will have been a chapter in the history of the universe as pointless as the chapter about uh, those strange dinosaurs that once roamed the earth. And he said, once you know the existence of God 
and survival after life is no longer believable, then, you know, if death ends everything, if you have neither to hope for good or to fear evil, then you must ask yourself, how should I live? And he said, most people won't face the fact that there's no meaning for life, and thus life has no meaning. Tim Keller is a great Presbyterian preacher in New York City, and he's pointed out that in Mormon's most famous book of human bondage, there's a character there called Philip Carey who loses his faith in God pretty early in life. And he believes that when you die, you rot. And eventually, the sun's going to rot, going to die, right? And all human life's going to go away. Eventually, no one's going to remember anything that's happened, uh, whether you lived a good life or a cruel life. It's going to make no difference at all in the end. What's interesting is that, of course, that philosophy is in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the position that the book of Ecclesiastes explores through all of its chapters until the very end of its 12th chapter. It's almost the whole book is about vanity of vanity, all is vanity, meaninglessness of meaninglessness, all is meaningless. So when Philip Carey was a young man, he thought that after death there would be nothing. And that gave him this sense of freedom, you know, no one to answer to, uh, no God to judge you. Uh, and then it sunk in on him that if there's no meaning in life, your life serves no end. Life is insignificant. Death is without consequence. And so it seemed to Philip, uh, at last, he was free of any burden of responsibility. He was utterly free now. But then he also realized he could, not, he could never be happy. People who don't believe there's anything in the ultimate future, people who believe that when you die, you rot, that ultimately there's nothing, and nothing you do will make any difference. People who believe that cannot ultimately be happy. You can live any way you want. You can get away with anything. No such thing as right and wrong. And all talk about right and wrong and love and cruelty and justice and injustice is a crock. You know, I can live any way I want. I'm completely free. Anything I can do that I can get away with, I can do. But of course, I'll never be happy. Yeah? At first, God is gone and you seem free. But then you say, how will I live? What do I live for? What's the point of it all? You can have anything you want, but in the long run, it is meaningless. In the knowledge that it's all rot, it's all going to burn, ultimately there's nothing to live for, that's the miserific vision. And it begins to infiltrate your life. It'll infuse your heart. There'll be a weariness. There'll be a meaninglessness that will creep over you and through you, and you won't know why. Yeah, I know why. You have no hope. And you're a creature that is based in hope. We are creatures that are meaning-seeking creatures. We are creatures that make moral judgments. If there's no morality, if there's no meaning, then we as creatures can never be fulfilled. We can never find happiness. 
The great American uh, Congregationalist pastor theologian Jonathan Edwards made three points in his sermon on Christian hope and happiness. I know when people hear Jonathan Edwards, they always think sinners in the hands of an angry God. What they don't realize is Edwards was a brilliant Calvinist theologian who was also considered the theologian of joy. (laughs) But he made three points in his, his sermon on Christian hope and happiness. And he says there are three things you have to know. Your bad things will turn out for the ultimate good. Your good things can never be taken away from you. And thirdly, the best things are yet to come. Your bad things will turn out for good, for the ultimate good. St. Paul teaches this, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So that's number one. Your bad things will turn out for the ultimate good. Secondly, your good things can never be taken away from you. And thirdly, the best things are yet to come. Perpetua, Felicity, their friends, they knew the why of their life, the why of their death. And so when they were scourged and taunted, they rejoiced that they had obtained a share in the Lord's suffering. They embraced their ordeal with an eagerness that seemed to delight in pain. They greeted death with open arms, and that onlooking crowd didn't realize that they were seeing on March 7th of 203, a new day dawning in human history, a new vision of human happiness, one more way in which the world owes a debt to the Catholic Church. The West's concept of history goes back to the Christian martyr. I'm Al Cresta. Another year has come and gone, and whether you like it or not, Uncle Sam requires you to make an accounting. Perhaps it's time to call Myler and Zipka. They work with you to legally minimize your tax bill and identify ways to reduce future taxes. Eliminate the nagging feeling that you're paying more taxes than you need to. Call Ken Zipka today at 734-930-5500. Myler and Zipka. Integrity, excellent value, and people dedicated to a long-term relationship. 734-930-5500. Support for this Ave Maria program comes in part by the not-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Shopping for insurance, mortgage products, Catholic health coverage, identity protection, or financial planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for all those and more. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. StAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. My husband is a total crack-up. He really does make me laugh. He has that sense of humor where you don't know if he's serious or not. I've witnessed many people duped by his commentary, thinking that what he was saying was true. In reality, he was just joking around. He's often very quick-witted. His humor often includes a movie line or lyrics from a song. He has this ability to be in tune with others. I'm convinced we all need to laugh more. However, we must be careful not to engage in humor that is degrading or insulting to others. Life itself can be funny, and sometimes we just have to laugh at ourselves, but never at the expense of others in a hurtful way. I sometimes think if I don't laugh at the insanity in this world, I'll end up crying. Humor can be healthy and healing. Just make sure that when you're cracking that joke, that if you saw Jesus standing right next to you, he'd be laughing too. 
This has been a Christ Center communication message. I'm Vanessa Denhagarmo, a communications evangelist and host of Epiphany. And now, a meditation minute from Father Gabriel Richard High School. I'm Dominic, a senior, with a reflection on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. How many of us want to be rich? How many of us want to be able to live without worry of the future or how we will support ourselves? Can we really say that these are bad things to desire? Jesus warns us against covetousness, which is really idolatry, with the parable of the rich fool. We live in a time when the idealized approach to life is to ensure prosperity, to free ourselves for other things. Financial responsibility is important, St. Paul says so to the Romans, but we cannot let money become an end in itself. This is what Jesus warns us against. Life is unpredictable, and nothing we can do can prepare us for every possibility. If that becomes our goal, what happens to faith? No matter what we do, we must be rich in what matters to God. This Meditation Minute is brought to you by the students, faculty, and staff of Father Gabriel Richard High School. In Morse code, the sequence SOS is a distress call when someone's in trouble. It's been said that SOS stands for Save Our Souls. Well, right now, the world is in deep trouble, and we're putting out an SOS call for help. Will you answer the call? St. Paul Evangelization has hundreds of teams of evangelists that go out and share the good news with souls that are in danger of being lost. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and find a team near you so you can answer that distress call. Crested in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization, Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 75% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. In Genesis 3.15, we get a very re- revealing statement uh, as God addresses Satan and says that uh, there will be enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, the serpent, and the woman. And that's the first book of the Bible. And if you run to the end of the uh, biblical canon in the book of Revelation, what you find again is a, a very clear picture of the mother of Messiah in conflict with the Satan, the devil, the uh, the figure that opposes uh, Messiah. Everybody knows that, of course, Scripture gives us a big macro narrative about the conflict of what happens with creation, fall, redemption, and then ultimately the consummation of history, what they may not be aware of is the role that the woman plays in this uh, story. Catholics, of course, know that Mary plays a central role in salvation history. Uh, My guest, Dr. Kerry Gress, has... uh, reflected on this at great length and has written The Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity. Carrie has a doctorate in philosophy from Catholic University of America and is the author, uh, is the editor of the online magazine Helena Daily, is a faculty member at uh, Pontifex University and a member of the International Marian Association. She's the author of uh, oh, half a dozen books, 
including the Marion Option and the Ultimate Makeover. Carrie, good to have you back here. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, the Anti-Mary Exposed is your newest contribution. And uh, this, of course, when you hear Anti-Mary, you think Anti-Christ. So tell me about the parallel. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, when I was writing the, the Marian option, I was really struck by always seeing the parallel of Adam and Eve, and then you see Christ and Our Lady as the new Adam and the new Eve. And then I, I started thinking about this idea of, of the Antichrist and the fact that we don't really ever speak or talk about a, a female complement to that. And yet, if you look at our culture, if you look at kind of the elite women of our culture, they're actually running massive parts of the way most people think in this country. Um, what they represent has nothing to do with Our Lady. In fact, it's just quite the opposite of who Our Lady is. And so from there was sort of a natural step to thinking about, you know, perhaps we are living with the spirit, not a person of an anti-Mary, like, a, like the Antichrist is spoken of as a person. But the way John speaks of the Antichrist as an actual movement or a spirit that, that has affected us. And um, we can see that women have been targeted in a very specific way since the 1960s. And so that's what I'm really highlighting, this trend that, is, that has affected women. And, of course, Satan knows that if you get the women, you get everybody. The women are really the soil of a culture. And mm-hmm. um, so that's why we're seeing so many struggles today, I think, because of this particular spirit. Um, is this something that gained special momentum in the late 60s? Because you've got a group of elite yeah. American women there. Who are right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think um, you know the foundation was laid for prior to that, just given the fact that the culture collapsed so easily under the, the sexual revolution of the '60s. Right. Um, yeah, definitely gained momentum. Um, you have uh, uh, twelve women in particular who were really behind this this big push, um, including people like Kate Millett, who actually integrated a lot of Marxist ideas. Um, but we also hear a lot about it later from other feminists. Phyllis Chesler is one of them who's now speaking about it, about how all these women were just incredibly broken women. And um, so they really were kind of caught up, got caught up in this wave between their brokenness, the sexual revolution, and then the onset of you know mass media in terms of TV. And it, it just kind of carried their movement in, in ways unimaginable, I think, prior to this. Um, and so a lot of this hasn't been scrutinized, but to see between the brokenness of these women, but also um, the Marxist connections to it, and just really their goal to destroy what they called the patriarchy, and how they wanted to do it by promoting all kinds of things that actually, if you look at the culture today, all of these things have come to pass, everything from eroticism and um, you know sexual issues and confusion, all of that has was promoted by them back in the 60s, and, and, you know, you can see kind of the triumph of their effort has come to pass in our own age. Would they have recognized themselves as anti-Marian? <laughs> you know, I think that's actually a really great question, um, because you certainly wouldn't hear them in any way be laudatory towards Our Lady. Right. Um, after all, she didn't embody any of the things that they were interested in. So um, it is a good question, because I think that they, they saw themselves as doing something Different, um, and actually, this is one of the, the fascinating pieces I stumbled upon was just recognizing that these were women didn't know a lot of mythology. They didn't have the Christian story to sort of in, inform a lot of. It. They weren't devout, faithful Catholics, um, so they didn't know a lot of um, the story that comes to us. And these are the stories that are important to inform us about how to live our lives properly. And they have a kind of this new hubris of thinking we're doing something new. 
But in effect, what all that they did really was sort of usher in a new paganism. And, you know, they're, they're doing the exact same thing that we see in cultures throughout history, but they've just kind of embodied it in a new format and think that they're doing something new because they're unaware of all these warnings that come through mythology yeah. and, and um, embracing paganism. So it's an interesting thing to see, you know, this juxtaposition of we're doing something new and yet it's really the same old idol worship. Yes, that's right. And, and so they, they really, they hearken back to uh, a, a view, uh, they hearken back to an understanding of woman which mm-hmm. is not new at all. It's it's actually right. uh, an option which the Christian faith rejected uh, two thousand right. years ago. Um, mm-hmm. So, who is this new woman that they're? What what characterizes the new woman? What they think is the new right. woman? Well, um, there are couple, several things, but I think at the heart of all of it is really just this um, this lie that women cannot be successful unless they are, that they go, they're at war with their children, um, that their children are, are the obstacles to their success. And so we have to find ways to get rid of children. And that's what we've done. I mean, it's, it's pretty stark when you start looking at it in these, in these kinds of terms. But, of course, simultaneously, they're also desiring to be just like men. Um, there's this weird kind of schizophrenia about the movement where, it's, you know, saying men have everything we want. We want to be just like men. But at the same time, they're saying men must change. Um, so it's this weird dynamic of almost going to, well, Gloria Steinem has, has spoken about it, trying to get to this world where there's absolute gender neutrality and um, these biological and physiological differences are, are no longer important. Spiritual differences as well are no longer viewed as important. Everybody's just sort of this generic person. Um and yet, so it's a fascinating thing to see, you know, this envy, this this jealousy that they have of men, and yet at the same time, this this um, wanting to be like them. Um, and it, it, anyway, it's an odd combination of things. So yeah, really, at the heart of it is just the destruction and the implosion of the family based on the enemy, seeing children as the enemy, but also seeing men as the enemy of a different sort. So let let me see here. On the one hand, uh, men are the enemy. Uh, on the other hand, there's so you've got they're the enemy, but they're also uh, the object of envy, which is a strange, it, yeah, exactly, yeah, strange, uh, yeah. almost paradoxical. There, um, yeah, it really is, and it's and we can see it everywhere. Even um, Alexandra Ocasio Cortez made this comment about you know women. Um, Republicans fear me because I'm acting like a man. <laughs> it's a very odd odd reality that um it, you know so interesting to to see how this plays out this dynamic of, of we hate men but we have to be exactly like them to be powerful and and that's the other piece too is, is they really re- they're they're looking at at their success as power and control um and of course that's not the christian model at all right. either um that's certainly not mary's model and, and so i go you know the first half of the book sort of lays out the problem but the second half really looks at our lady and why it is that she's such a model for us. And I think we think of her in very saccharine terms and very superficial terms. Um, but what I looked into was what are these desires of all women's hearts? And um, it's certainly to, to be known and loved, uh, but also to do good. And, you know, if you look at these women's lives, even Rose McGowan said, you know, I had to have an abortion so that I could change the world. She has this desire to do good. It's just completely misdirected and misguided. Wow. So all of us have this desire. 
And then the third desire, of course, is, is related to beauty. And, you know, we can certainly see how misguided this has become, whether it's in using it for manipulating men or um, for vanity's sake. And yet there's something deeper there. We know our lady was beautiful, and she she's said she's beautiful because she loves. And that beauty is called is is given to us so that we can draw others to the beauty of God. We can reflect God's beauty and we can end up becoming a bridge to heaven instead of, you know, hating people to go to hell. Um, So these three things are are really vital, I think, to to understand about women and understand about Our Lady and her capacity to to guide us as an actual model. Uh, I want to come back to the first question I asked, and that is the degree to which these women um, were conscious of mm-hmm. being on the attack uh, mm-hmm. of a certain... Mm-hmm. P- where did they derive their picture of <laughs> the woman that they had to attack? That's what I'm trying to figure out uh, because yeah. they, don't, they don't have... Uh, I mean, they don't have a shared religious history. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I think it comes from several different places. I mean, the first... The, there's certainly a lot of, of Marxist ideology okay. mix it, put into the mix. And I, I talk about this a lot in the book. In fact, go back to Soviet communism and see, uh, you know, I, I, most people think that the mistake of communism was, um, was Marxism in the economic. It was form. economic, yeah. But I think, yeah, but I think that if you look at this, the parallels between Marxism and, and commun- in the Soviet, Soviet Russia, and then you see it in our own culture today, what's really at the heart of it is this, I, this lie that we can change human nature. And this is one of the reasons why it was so important for abortion to be on demand in Soviet Russia. Um, it, it, you know, it was just, it's, we're gassed at the, the numbers of abortions that people, women had there. Uh, they couldn't own property, but boy, could they get an abortion easily if they wanted to. And that was to sort of make them into these, you know, the robots, the, the workers, um, so that they could create this economic utopia, which of course we've seen very, very easily that doesn't work that way. Um, and yet this is, what we're seeing the same kind of principle played out in terms of, of the feminist movement, that we can change human nature, that women can don't have to be tied to their children. Uh, they can change into men. They can, they, they can be whatever they want to. This plasticity um, has really taken over in the minds of feminism, and this is why we're seeing so many problems with the, the transgender movement and all of that, because this is the, the lie at the heart of it. Carrie, hold it there. We'll come back on the other side of the break and continue conversation. We're looking at the demonic influence on women today, uh, the big lie, changing human nature. And uh, we're going to continue with Dr. Carrie Gress. The book is called The Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity. I'm Al Cresta. Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by a gift from our day sponsor, the Lansing Guild of the Catholic Medical Association. The annual Rose Mass for Catholic healthcare workers will be Saturday, March 18th at Christ the King Church in Ann Arbor, followed by a dinner at Fox Hills Country Club in Plymouth. Email cmalansing at gmail.com for dinner tickets. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. Resetting your password, unsubscribing from emails, printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things. 
like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Call Choice Insurance Agency at 734-641-4200. The National Eucharistic Congress is teaming up with Catholic Men's Leadership Alliance to bring you a free online Linton event for men. Join Dr. Edward Sri, Bishop Andrew Cousins, and John Michael Lucido. Hi, my name is Dr. Edward Sri, and I'm excited to be a part of this men's conference. Am I taking those next steps to following Jesus, to encountering his love and his mercy and being transformed as a man of God? Sign up today for the Heroic Men Summit at HeroicMen.com. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noelle will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. The court just overturned Roe, but people are still fighting for so-called rights. I don't identify exclusively with being a man or a woman. I use they and them as my pronouns. We changed one law, but that doesn't change hearts. You have to ask, how did we get here? For 400 years, we've been told that all that exists is what we can see and touch. It's called materialism. People don't believe in God. They follow their senses. We think divine intelligence is a fable, but we believe in science as the new God. The irony? Scientific evidence does not support the idea of modernism. Science supports the biblical account of creation. Old St. Pat's in Ann Arbor presents the philosophy of modernism on Saturday, March 18th at 7 p.m. and the scientific evidence for creation on Sunday, March 19th at 4 p.m. For more information, visit howdidwegethere.info. That's howdidwegethere.info. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything? even things you don't believe in, there are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. In 1917, during one of Our Lady's appearances at Fatima, the three shepherd children were given a vision of hell, and Our Lady warned that if people don't stop offending God, then another war would come. Uh, in reparation, Our Lady asked, quote, for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. Uh, and she added, if my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, She will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the church. 
Uh, this leads, of course, uh, any conscious person to ask, well, what then are the errors of Russia that she's referring to? And uh, this ties in to the theme we've been developing in the last segment, and that is uh, the conflict between uh, Satan and the woman that we see in Genesis 3 and pick up again in Revelation 12. So you've already been talking about Marxism, Carrie. Uh, is that central to the errors of Russia? And is that, again, as you point out, it's not just an economic issue. There's a family matter here. Right. Yeah, no, I think it is central. It's this idea of human nature being changed. I don't, I don't think it's economic. I think, there's, yeah. I think economics certainly play into it. But I think if we can see what it is that they've exported to us, there's a lot of parallels between what was adopted by the early feminists and the second wave feminism in the 60s and um, what was the way women were treated under Soviet communism. Um, and it's, it is, again, this idea that we can change human nature, that we can change men into women, women to men. There's this plasticity of, of human nature that, that um, we can work with. And this is, again, we see this in the, in the second wave feminism. But what's fascinating is to see kind of this span of these two different, very different governmental structures um, and yet this, this common thread of trying to change human nature. But for the Soviets, the Russians knew to reject this. This was, it was economically a disaster. It destroyed lives. Their, the country was just left in ruins because of Soviet communism. But on the other hand, when you see in the West how successful it's been, it's pretty remarkable because it's become such an ingrained idea in our minds about the way women are supposed to be. And in fact, we've kind of, we've embraced it. I mean, you know, it's, it's very popular. It's very, um, something that's fashionable, even, you know, the idea that we should be shouting our abortions. I mean, that's, this is something that we are as a culture embracing, um, rather than seeing the damage that it's actually done to us. Um, you know, we're sort of in, in the soup of it and embracing it rather than rejecting it because it's not working for us. So, so at the heart of the Marxist ideology then is this idea of remaking human nature, remaking human society. Right equalizing everybody, right. erasing natural and social differences um, between mm -hmm. people. Uh, of course, Christ, right. Christian faith is also talks about regenerating human nature, um, but not mm -hmm. obliterating uh, the distinctiveness of uh, individual persons. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, in, in, this, in this conflict that's going on, we've got... Uh, we have God and Satan. We have uh, Satan and the woman. And in the redemption uh, from the fall, uh, we've got the Blessed Mother who corresponds to Eve. So we've got the new Eve. Mm -hmm. In, so w w what Eve is the mother of all the living. Mary is the mother of the living one and then the mother of the church. So this is really about the idea of what is the true mother, it seems to me, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, without a doubt, and, and even just an understanding of what womanhood is. And the, right. the, the, the amazing thing is you can see that they, feminism saw womanhood as this, this pinnacle and even something to be aspired to and, and um focused on but again there's a schizophrenic we want to be like men we want the power of men um so there's that but then in charge within all of that of course is this rejection 
of both motherhood and virginity. And I, I think that's one of the pieces that is I just keep coming back to is just remarkable of how pointedly they rejected those very two characteristics that we apply every day to who our lady is. She was yeah. a virgin, she was a mother. Right. And right. Um, there, there was a very pointed rejection of those two characteristics, even if they didn't target her, you know, specifically, they were very doing this very subtle effort of undermining who she was. And um, Sue Ellen Browder, who wrote the book Subverted, yes, talked to me. I talked to her about um, her work, and um, she says, you know, they were manufacturing these stories about the Cosmo girl, and she said the only restrictions that they really had for their stories was that these Cosmo girls could not be virgins and they couldn't be mothers. Um, so this is really the direction that they were trying to take the culture to, and, and um, again, I, I argue in the book, I think they've been very successful in their efforts. Now that's amazing, isn't it? That they could not be mm-hmm. mothers. Yeah. They could not be mo- yeah. The Cosmo girl could not be a mother, could not be a virgin. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, the, the talk about uh, mother, at, at one point, anyways, in popular culture, motherhood and virginity were both sneered at. <laughs> not just rejected, right. but yeah. sneered at. Right. Um, no, and that's still, I think, still the case. And um, certainly, you know, the mother of four kids, I know the sneering started when I had my third. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, virginity is a whole other topic where it really is people are maligned for maintaining their virginity and seeing it as a virtue and protecting it. Betty Friedan talked about this ache uh, with no name. <laughs> Uh, what is that? What is she talking about? And what is what is yeah. the uh, what heals right. that? Yeah. Well, for Dan, I think was trying to get at something that she was pinning on the societal structures of women being home with their children, stay-at-home motherhood. But what she was really getting at is clearly that desire that we all have for God. And um, you know, the saddest reality is is that she never understood what that ache was. But I think all of us who are Christians who have this desire to know God and to live his, by his designs, that we understand that that ache gets filled, and he's the one. He's the only one that can fill it. But, um, yeah, I think that's really what she was getting at, even though she had no idea theologically what she was right. saying. Right. Um, and the sad thing, of course, is that that's really what motivated so many women um, to change their lives, to, to leave their husbands, to leave their children, to... Um, decide that their career was more important or, or to have abortions or whatever the decisions were that were made um, that have obviously been very destructive in the culture. Um, so what what do Christian women do who <laughs> they, they get a sense, they get the story, if they get the story, yeah. they get the narrative, right? And they say, wow, I'm in the middle of this story. I, I, wh- wh- what's, yeah. the, what's my script now? How do, what do I do right. in response to this problem? Sure. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing, of course, is we just need to follow Mary more closely, no matter where we're at. Uh, and even looking at the, the female saints throughout history, they were successful because they understood their fruitfulness came from uniting their wills with God. That's that's it. That's where they were, for, why they were fruitful, why they were able to do good, amazing, remarkable things. Someone like St. Catherine of Siena, Hildegard of Bingham, St. Helen, on and on. The list goes on. Um, and it wasn't, you know, their their accomplishments trump what women consider accomplishments in our own era because we are fruitful when we're, our will is united with God's, not not when we are trying to wrest power from other people or be more mm-hmm. powerful over others. Um, so that's a, one of the big secrets, I think, 
that Our Lady offers us. Um, and, and I, you know, as I say all this, I know it's incredibly challenging because of the fact that we've had 50 years where it was really considered unfashionable to look at her in this, this way. So it's almost actually hard to wrap our minds around it when we've been, you know, my own experience going through even Catholic schools and feeling like the, you know, the, the, the roles that I was pushed into were, you know, being ambitious, try to um, have a great career, be successful, all of these kinds of things. But I never talked to anybody about what it meant to be submissive or to be meek and to really understand that these are actual virtues that I could embody. And they didn't mean I was I had to become a doormat. Right, right. Um, I think our minds naturally go to doormathood. Um, and, of course, that's not who Our Lady was at all. Um, so we have to re-educate ourselves about what those virtues are. Um, and then, of course, there's the other reality of just um, we have families, we have neighborhoods, we have friends, Try influencing them and through our witness and trying to help them understand the, the role that, that the story that we are in and um, why it's not going to end well if we stay on this path for us as individuals or, or as a group. Um, but we need to be aware of it, that what, what the way that Satan has worked his way into to, to the culture and into our souls. Um. For young for young women, where are the entry points? When when do they begin mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. move away from the a, a natural calling they may have um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to motherhood? Uh, and I, yeah. I mean, I, it can be spiritual maternity, you know, or uh, mm-hmm. biological maternity. Right. But right. when when do they begin to say to themselves, "That's a, a potential calling I reject." Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good question, and good question, and great point. All women are called to motherhood, whether it is right. um, spiritual or or physical. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, I, I think it starts early, and and this is one of the things that I've been really amazed at how little we talk about um, envy in our culture, especially among um, younger girls, or even in the church. Um, when was the last time you heard a, a homily, certainly directed at women, about envy and jealousy? This is one of our fundamental weaknesses that um, and we need to highlight this more because we have the capacity to be incredibly generous and charitable towards others and yet because of sort of our natural hard wiring it, it's a fault that comes very very easily to us um, so we have this sort of malcontentedness that I think um, women experience on all kinds of la- layers and you can see it even among you know little girls who are arguing who are struggling with each other um, because of envy or jealousy or whatever um, and then, of course, as they get older, I mean, it depends on the education and what, what children are exposed to and teenagers are exposed to. But we can see how quickly all of this drops off. In fact, even this morning I was noticing Teen Vogue was um, featuring, you know, 10 myths about um, about abortion, something to the effect of it's, it's more harmless than a colonoscopy or, uh, yeah. you know, just ridiculous um, phrases that are obviously indoctrinating our children to think a certain way. And, of course, because... Um, this elite message has infected fashion, Hollywood, music, um, academics, and politics. There's just really no getting away from it. It's incredibly hard. And this is one of the things that I think as Catholics we need to think very seriously about is that we haven't done, we, we've, we've like left the field wide open. We, there's nothing to really stop these ideas in the culture. And we have to do a, a, like beyond heroic job in our own family yeah. to help our, uh, educate our daughters. But at the same time, you know, we need to start thinking about trying to influence the culture more effectively. Yes. I mean, the, the, uh, a robust and positive presentation of what it means to be right. woman 
I think is something we really do have to work at. You're working on it, and I appreciate that. (laughs) Carrie, thanks. thanks. Good talking with you again. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you. The book is called The Anti-Mary Exposed, Rescuing the Culture from Toxic Femininity. We'll have it available for you in the online bookstore. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noelle will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. In 2005, my sister experienced a brain injury, leaving her unable to speak for herself and make her own decisions regarding medical care. Since she had not established a health care agent by creating a health care durable power of attorney, the courts decided to leave the medical decisions to Michael, Terry's husband. Because of this, Michael was able to remove Terry's food and water, dehydrating and starving her to death by court order. There are many reasons why someone may need a feeding tube, such as an illness or injury, that leaves a patient with difficulty swallowing. Usually, feeding tubes are short-term solutions until the patient can swallow on their own. St. Pope John Paul II clarified that food and water by tube is basic care owed to patients and not a medical act. We never know when you or a loved one may be faced with an injury. I urge you to have a conversation with your family and to identify a health care agent to make sure your life wishes are known and to take the step of finalizing a health care power of attorney. It could very well save your lives. This medical moment brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. On the next Epiphany. Keep hold of instruction and do not let go. Hi, Vanessa Denhagarmo here, and this is a program for parents and their teens. Kelly Lutinen invites teens to enter an oratory contest sponsored by Right to Life. Our own Dr. Ray Garendi talks about teen depression and identity crisis. Epiphany, weekdays at noon on Ave Maria Radio. Thanks for joining us over that hour. If you go to AveMariaRadio.net, you can uh, well, listen to that program again and get a hold of Carrie Gress's books. And also check out her website, Theology of Home, where she and Noel Maring are continuing to develop these ideas. And speaking of Noel Maring, you can still show up to that event tonight. Um, you can click on the link to register just to give us an idea. Or at this point, if you want to just uh, show up at Gabriel Richard High School here in Ann Arbor, one clarification because there's been a few questions, uh, whether it starts at 7 or 7.30. It starts at 7.30, but if you get there at 7, you can uh, chat for a while and be sure you get a good seat. Um, also, as we uh, continue looking at other things, want to give a shout-out to uh, the Catholic Community Radio in Louisiana who is doing their spring pledge drive this week. So if you're listening in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, or anywhere in that area, please continue to support your Catholic radio station. And if you're not in that area, support your local Catholic radio station wherever you happen to be listening right now. Uh, A few other thoughts real quick. There's a nice little piece from the National Catholic Register called St. Perpetua Used Her Last Moments to Give Glory to God. And as I'll discuss, this is from the account of her death, Uh, Looking for a pin, Perpetua likewise pinned up her disheveled hair, for it was not meet that a martyr should suffer with hair disheveled, lest she should seem to grieve in her glory. 
This young mother, facing her death, refused to allow her killers to believe that she wept for her suffering. Her life, so brutally cut short, would serve as a witness of the joy with which she went to meet her creator. She was going to see Jesus, so she repinned her hair. St. Perpetua used the last moments on earth to give glory to God. In the last act she could take with her physical body, she honored Christ. May we make the same choice in our own lives, whether they be our final actions, one of many we have yet to take. Thanks to uh, Kelly Markham for that blog at the National Catholic Register that we'll have posted for you at our website, and also we'll share that link on social media. Coming up in the next hour, Testimony Story, A Conversion from Buddhism to Christianity. Paul Williams, a Catholic lay Dominican, is our guest. Many years in the Buddhist faith, why is he not a Catholic? He'll be sharing that story. That's all coming up in the next hour of Cresta in the Afternoon. We'll see you right soon. 